I'm Blake Pace, alongside Matt Wyrick. We're recording on Wednesday, February 12th, hitting your ears Thursday morning. Hopefully hopefully you're out there just listening to it the second it drops uh, on February 13th, Thursday. Uh, Matt, how are things going? Getting that middle of the week? Getting over the hump? Trying to get into the weekend? Yeah, man, it's going pretty well. Uh, it's, what, Wednesday right now? It's, uh, it's been yeah. a bit of a crazy week, but that's actually going to pick up even more the next couple of days with the Nationals oh, yeah. reporting to spring training today and media availability opening tomorrow morning. So I'm going to be at work pretty early and uh, kind of managing that from our end here. So mm-hmm. things are seem like they're only going to be picking up from here, unfortunately, but also yeah, fortunately. You... Yeah, yeah, of course. Are you guys are you doing anything special for uh, Valentine's Day? Anything good going on? Yeah, I've got uh, Madison and I are hitting up this restaurant we really like in Chinatown in D.C. We're going there, and then Saturday nice. we've got we both got the day off, so we're gonna hang out, watch movies, do our thing. You know, what about you? Very you got cool. anybody special? Oh yeah, I've got so many, so many loves of my life. <laughs> now uh, this weekend, actually, it's funny the way it worked out. My sister. Uh, and her best friend have both recently turned 21, and so they oh. really want to see Nashville. Um, and then one of my best friends from school is actually tagging along, uh, from high school, is tagging along with them. So they're coming in on Friday. The funny thing is the three of them are all in relationships of like five-plus years. Nice. And are, just, and are just ditching their significant others to come party in Nashville for a weekend. So I'll have a lot of fun. Find the love of my life some point at a bar, uh, I'd say around one thirty in the morning, and then uh, call it a day. Hey, can't complain <laughs> about that. And hey, that's power to them for, you know, putting their single friend first on Valentine's Day. That's really, know. you know, that's that's something yeah. to be applauded. Very nice of them. I'll have to, I'll have to give them a nice gift. <laughs> well... Let's start things off, and it, it was kind of you alluded to it a little bit earlier. It is a it is a, a busy time for baseball pitchers and catchers reporting down in Florida. I know um, the Nats as well uh, with the Yankees today. I, I was listening to a bunch of press conferences throughout the day when I was getting breaks from work. But um, Matt, that's not necessarily where we are going to go. We're not going to hype up you know players reporting down in Florida just yet. Uh, there's been a lot going on around the world of baseball in terms of its future. Um, reports coming out that they're considering a playoff format that's kind of more structured like the NBA, uh, where, you know, in the NBA, essentially over half the league teams are getting in the postseason. Uh, with this structure, seven teams would be getting in uh, from each, um, sorry, from seven from the American League and the National League. So right around that half uh, format, um, there's also rumors that the top seeds would be able to pick their future opponents, um, and kind of got a, a lot of mixed signals. Um, I know some people, some significant writers came out in support of it. I know Buster Only wrote a column on, on why you shouldn't uh, be upset with the uh, with the proposed uh, format changing, but a lot of players, a lot of other people have come out um, against it. Uh, Matt, what are your initial thoughts? Because I know I, I've scrolled through your Twitter a bit and seen some of your thoughts, but let's get a full kind of uh, idea of what you're thinking. Well, right off the bat, 
I want to say I'm interested in the idea of expanding the playoffs. I think it should only be one more team each league, not yeah. two. Um, but there are a lot of different ways they could do it. I, first and foremost, the thing that I really don't like is that it doesn't reward every team for winning their division. I think that should be a crucial uh, thing that you, you shoot for every year is taking care of business by winning your division, then worrying about seeding after that. It's that, that way uh, in the NFL. It's that way in the NHL. It's that way in MLB right now. And I think that honestly should hold a lot of weight. Uh, just because that's how it's it's been, and and that's you know I think it's a pretty good structure because it creates better rivalries between the teams. But that being said, uh, you are t- technically being rewarded for winning your division if you're the two or the three seed because you have the choice of picking your opponent. But I don't think that that show that they're pitching as would be this big reality TV event would be very big. A because teams just. I mean, it would get leaked. We have mm-hmm. such good reporting nowadays and with social media and all this availability of information, it's going to leak before the show. And by the time it actually runs, nobody's going to actually tune in because everybody knows where everybody's going to be. It's not going to be like the uh, committee with uh, the, the NCAA football right now where uh, we have the, the college football playoff committee and we don't really know until the show. It's hard to do that. I don't know if that would be possible. There's just a lot more moving mm-hmm. parts when you're talking about a professional sports organization. Uh, yeah. So that, that to me right there is, is an issue. And then the other issue for me is I don't I, I you know we'll talk about what Trevor Bauer said uh, yeah. in, a, in a second here, but he talked about that layoff. I don't think it's as significant as maybe he's making it out to be. The Nationals, for example, uh, had one of the bigger layoffs between the NLCS when they swept the Cardinals, and then having to wait for the Astros to finish beating the Yankees in six games. Uh, then with a couple of days before they even took the mound uh, for Game One, so and they did just fine. They jumped out to a two zero start in that series, actually. Uh, so I don't know if it's. I mean, that's one case or certainly cases the other way, but I don't know if that's a proven, you know, issue that maybe the league needs to be worried about. What I do think that the league needs to be worried about is the wild card game as it is right now. Ratings wise, it's great. I mean, just as a product in and of itself, the wild card game is so much fun to watch. It is an immediate elimination game. Everybody is just doing whatever they can to win that game. It's great. It's a lot of fun, but it also just, it doesn't seem fair to me to a team who plays 162 games to fight for a playoff position only to be one and done. You know, mm-hmm. I, this is this is baseball where you win in a series. Any team can win any given baseball game. It's not always that the same team wins out. Uh, and you could be a team like, say, the Padres who are, you know, looking at the next three years, they might not even crack the division because of just how good the Dodgers are, how built they are for the future, how good they are now. And, you know, you're you're looking at being in a wild card every year, if even that, uh, and with the potential of you know losing in that game and everything being for nothing. I mean, if you're at the deadline and the trade deadline midway through the year, and you know you're one piece away from being a true title contender, but you're not sure if you want to mortgage your future over the possibility of losing in one game, it's hard to blame you. Because, you know, you're giving up all these significant pieces and you barely even get the chance to use them come playoff time. And that's, you know, the whole point. So 
Uh, that's a long-winded way of saying I like the, the, the idea of expansion. I, I think three teams and using some kind of pool would be fun, like a double elimination mm-hmm. pool or something like that. Yeah. Or, you know, so, something that way, uh, like the NCAA does in its regional rounds for both baseball and softball. I think, you know, except use three teams instead of four. I think that could be a lot of fun. It would only add an extra day, I think, onto the schedule. So, Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like the idea of expansion. I just don't think this is the right way to go about it. Yeah, I agree. I think I'd be more okay, like you said, with that six range. You're still not approaching. I mean, you're getting closer to almost half of the, the league being in, but you're still on, on the better side as opposed to sure. you know, the NBA or what 14 teams would look like as well, too. Uh, one of the other things that you were, you, you were talking about earlier on was the kind of how it, you're right, it would be impossible um, for teams to really keep it a secret who they're going to choose as their upcoming opponent before that live show. It would almost it, it would almost have to be that one person keeps it a secret, just like, you know, almost like the live show in the way of the All-Star game when they're selecting their teams uh, and, and they're kind of just looking at a list and saying, oh, we go there. But that's that's the All-Star game. That's their little break. This is the postseason. They're obviously going to spend a lot of time and a lot of decisions will be made. A, a, a big group will come together in those organizations to make that decision. And I don't think that they'd be able to keep it secret for the live show. So I definitely agree with you on the rant. Um, and or, and one other thing in, is that, like, if, say, it's – uh, the red, the Yankees who who got that number two seed, and the Red Sox are one of you know those other teams that they could pick from to face. You know mm-hmm. what? If they don't pick the Red Sox, and the Red Sox are like the six seed, right? So like it'd be right. most it'd be most logical in that case for the two seed to pick the six seed because you'd want the worst team. Uh, but mm-hmm. say they don't pick the Red Sox because they you know are in their division and they don't want to face them. You know that's just going to make the team look cowardly. And as much as like, oh, there's strategy to it, it's interesting, blah, 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 there are going to be fans who are clamoring about that for years and months, whatever, Mm. Uh, and I don't think that's a look that MLB wants. No, you're right. I think it does put kind of um, a lot more emotions uh, could be thrown their way for stuff like this, and I I agree. I I hadn't even considered that, so it's an interesting thought. Um, I want to go on to something that you kind of alluded to a little bit um, for part of what it was, Matt, if we can transition this way. Sure. Um, So not only have a lot of players recently come out, I I guess, uh, and you had a tweet about it as well, too. You quote tweet, I believe it was Alex Wood uh, had tweeted some things. A lot of players are are being really outspoken the last few weeks, um, and and most recently a a viral rant from Trevor Bauer, uh, who did it for Momentum, I believe, is is the... um, is the name of the uh, publication that put it out. But I he think he has something to do with it, too. I'm not exactly gotcha. sure on that, but I, it might be like his project. I think it was his house that he was recording it in because you saw the end of the oh, video. Okay. He walked yeah, inside. Yeah. I think it I, – right. I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of guessing here, but, like, that's what it seemed like. Yeah, so, uh, look, it, he covered a lot of things in here. Um, I, I could pull some quotes, you know, on the proposal to explain, expand the playoffs – uh, he goes, they're just wrong. Like, who put this out without thinking of the fact that the best team in the league is going to get a six-day layoff, seven-day layoff, all of this stuff. He then transitions into some very interesting topics, Matt, and these are things that I wholeheartedly agree, and I, I would believe that you do too. Um, and he transitions to baseball's media problems, and he really targets Rob Manfred. Um, you know, quote, Rob, if you understood media, maybe as the commissioner of baseball, you could solve some of these things. Like how in one of your biggest markets, referring to Los Angeles, half the fans can't even watch the damn game because of TV deals. Um, 
Then he transitions, of course, to talk about how difficult it is it is to see MLB highlights. Uh, they can't, quote, they can't even go to Twitter where all the young people hang out. You can't go to social media and see anything about the game. Uh, he goes, Steph Curry throws a bounce pass in the NBA, and it's trending with 1.5 million views five minutes later. And Mike Trout goes and launches himself and robs a homer or something, and you can't find the highlight anywhere online. Um, talks more about dumb rules and proposals and, and kind of just recaps it up there. Um, it's because you make stupid decisions about how you market the players. He, he, he really goes in, uh, Matt. So I know you watched the video right before we, we recorded this podcast. Uh, your thoughts on, on Trevor, because he covered a lot in there. Yeah, I think there are two major things that stood out to me from what he said. One was talking about the TV rights. I 100% agree with him. Uh, that, that that needs to be a primary concern for Major League Baseball. And I get that it's between the team and the uh, whatever corresponding cable company is, so it's not actually MLB's place to step in and make that kind of deal. But I think, you know, Manfred, uh, at the very least, needs to be putting pressure on the Dodgers, which is the team he was referencing, uh, yeah. to, to get that deal done with Time Warner Cable. And, you know, half of California is blacked out, you know, that has Time Warner. And that's a significant part of your fan base that would be watching the game, particularly young kids. I mean, we hear all the time, uh, you know, having gone through journalism school, Blake, that, mm. you know, the only reason live TV is still relevant is because of sports in a lot of ways. Right. That's that's yeah. the only part of the only thing that is appointment to television. I mean, at this point, it's honestly, to me, seems like it's just The Bachelor in sports. It's the only right. reason people actually tune in to live TV these days and maybe and, like Oscars, award shows, that kind of thing. Right, and Modern Family, which has five episodes left. So what's that's gone I don't, to? I don't even watch Modern Family. So like, well, I, I, the only, I, I don't watch it either. The only reason I say is I think they're at like season 20. So they've been along gotcha. for a while. But they're like they're like the last one that's like that. So even they're coming to an end now. Yeah, so, Big Bang Theory it, ended last year. It was kind of like a similar right. thing. But, it, yep. you know, so I, I think that needs to be a massive priority for Major League Baseball to make sure that happens, particularly with the Dodgers, with, with a team that could have such big a fan base. And going into a season where they look like a juggernaut in the National League, like that, it should be a major priority. And then the other thing he mentioned was, you know, the Steph Curry thing where uh, Curry will have a highlight and within five minutes is trending on Twitter with 1.5 million views. The, the reason that happens is because NBA has uh, fair use, free use, whatever the term is, on its highlights. Mm -hmm. You can steal yeah. them all you want, use and abuse them, make highlight videos, whatever you want to do. NBA doesn't care because it's free marketing. But Major League Baseball, because it's so structured in local markets, whereas the NBA, it still has local TV rights for sure, but there are a lot more national games in the NBA than there are in uh, Major League Baseball. But Major League Baseball is so structured upon these local deals that all those rights are owned by Major League Baseball, the teams and the broadcast companies, and cannot be used by anyone else. So if you want to see a highlight, say, of the Nationals, then you would need to look at either the Nationals Twitter account, either mass and nationals twitter account or mlb major league baseball's account and that is the only three places on twitter that you can find those videos because other than that they belong to you know nobody else is allowed to use them they can't repost them it's just going to be a photo or a graphic and at that point what's the point it's not going to get engagement so a lot of these companies like bleacher report or nbc sports or abc sports whatever you know, espn you want to talk about won't post those videos because they can't so they're not just going to yeah. post some like 
stat-heavy graphic about how Mookie Betts hit three home runs when they could have just posted a video of Mookie Betts hitting three home runs, you know? So mm-hmm. uh, it, it's a it's an issue with MLB. And yes, as, as Bauer mentioned, you get the money up front, um, but they aren't going to get the money in the long run by retaining uh, this young fan base that it's trying so desperately to rein in. Yeah, yeah. Well, it- it's so upsetting because I I think that baseball is really in an interesting time right now. I mean, there are so many great, you know, even just up and coming duos. I saw a list and it it was 10 different teams with, with great duos in baseball right now. And I feel like there's a, there should be growing popularity, especially in the younger demographic. And there's things that just baseball is missing out on for whatever reason. And, and they are the traditional standard league of America, you know, America's pastime. Uh, one of the things that he mentioned that was that was really interesting to me was was the cleats. Um, you know, it, the NBA is so stylistic in all of their shoes, and and that has made so much money uh, throughout the NBA. I mean, I I've bought you know I've got a pair of uh, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Kyrie Irving. Um, I I was I've got a pair of Durant's. Like you've got all these signature player shoes, and, and really. When you wear cleats in baseball, um, just to just to take from what Bauer said, uh, he goes, "quote Oh, hey, Mike uh, Clevenger, you can't wear those shoes that are colorful that everybody on Twitter likes because it violates our stupid cleat policy where you get three colors of cleats." So um, things like that and just simple marketing tools that could really make this league so much more attentive. And I know baseball cleats are a little different than basketball shoes because you can wear basketball shoes anywhere, but you could just make the game a little bit more fun. And I always think back when I keep talking about this to the commercial, um, that they put out at the beginning of last season. And it was, you know, around the, you know, let the kids play, you know, let's make this league a little more enticing to these younger fan base to grow baseball fans from their, you know, early age of six, seven, and, and keep them fans of baseball throughout their life. Yeah, it's it's pretty sad that they can't wear this, whatever cleats they want. The NFL has similar rules, and it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It just mm-hmm. seems a bit over-controlling, in my opinion, and trying to you know uh, ensure that uh, you know, n- nothing clashes on TV and every photo that's taken by a photographer in the dugout is, is perfectly, uh, colored right and, you know, doesn't, uh, reflect poorly on the league when in, in actuality it actually is something that will get more people excited about it. It's just, you know, when you look at these arguments that the league is making in defense of these rules, they just fall over on themselves and it's just kind of sad and, uh, you know, it, it almost, kind of, you know, reinforces the idea that the sport is out of touch. And as, you know, you and I are are young fans of this game, you know, both in our early 20s, for us to be engaged like we are in this sport, it's rare. And Mm -hmm. I think the league, you know, recognizes that, but just has no clue how to approach fixing it. Yeah, I I always think back to, um, I'm a Yankees fan. I grew up in New York. They are obviously one of the most recognizable, you know, probably the most recognizable sports franchise, um, uh, you know, across the world. And I I think back to people my age and people younger than me, I don't really have that many people um, that are in my close circle or even my extended circle that are actual Yankees fans, passionate about the Yankees, passionate about its players, the sport in general. I just don't have that many. And to think that, you know, we're even still, you know, in our early 20s, you go younger, you know, 12, 10 year olds. I'm sure that they're all they're all in love with the NBA because of, of how you know exposed it is. The NFL is always, you know, fun and players like Patrick Mahomes, and Lamar Jackson changing that game. I just it's it's sad for the sport. And I do think that they need to make some, you know, adjustments in that moving forward if they want to keep, you know, 
the fan base up because I think I saw it somewhere on Twitter as well too. I'm not sure how over the last decade or the last 12 years, but I think the average attendance was down like 13 million. What was it, Matt? Did you see that? Did you retweet that? Am I seeing that because of you? Uh, not because of me, but I know it, it's gone down 13 consecutive years. Gotcha. Yes. So that's what it was. And it's continued. I think in that 13 year span, it, it might be down. I, I'd have to pull up the numbers. So sorry for, uh, for no, not having fine. that tweet by me, but yeah, I think, I think they just, there really needs to be some adjustments made in order to move forward as a kind of a league that can really grow. Cause there are a lot of young players that are fun right now. There's a couple on each of our teams that we root for and, and care a lot about, and there's a ton across the league. So um, definitely some room for improvement for baseball. Look, my final thing on this is baseball is a regional game, and the majors need to be promoting it as such. You can't be Mm -hmm. throwing Mike Trout highlights onto a DC sports reel and expect it to resonate with the fan base. It's just not going to do it because fans aren't tuning in to watch Mike Trout. They're tuning in to watch the Nationals en masse at 7 p.m. every night. That's just how it is. And so they need to be ramping up their individual market promotions with those players from those fan bases and helping out the teams promote their players. That's what they need to be doing. I should not be turning on ESPN and seeing, you know, a, an ad on a Tuesday afternoon for Sunday night baseball later that week. Uh, you know, when, if I'm watching Sports Center for three hours and I'm seeing it six times, that's a waste of money. I mean, yes, you want to obviously get the word out there that these two teams are playing on Sunday Night Baseball, even if they're not in a respective uh, area. But at the same time, you know, that's not where your efforts should be directed. They should be directed at local markets, trying to energize fan bases around their teams. And that's where the issue of, oh, well, half the league's tanking right now, uh, which is actually, mm-hmm. it's a, there's a lot more, a lot fewer this year tanking than there have been in recent years so that's at least good but you know it's going to be hard to go to you know Detroit fans and pump up the fact that uh you know you can go out and see Matthew Boyd uh in a 40 year old Miguel Cabrera and that's going to be about it for you uh so but you know focus on the teams that look to be good and and pump some money into marketing there that's all I'm saying yeah I, I completely agree and so um maybe maybe all of this outrage from players finally speaking out on things maybe uh, just more that we've kind of picked up on it recently. Maybe that gets the, the wheels churning a little bit. Uh, one last thing I want to say on baseball before we switch over uh, to basketball, um, of course, because the Yankees did report today, and this is something that we can expect uh, throughout the next few weeks as as uh, more Yankees players arrive, is uh, kind of their thoughts on, on this Astros um, whole cheating scandal. And I know you sent this quote to me earlier today, so I just wanted to read it off. Uh, <laughs> Gary Sanchez, who was asked about Jose Altuve's home run in the uh, Game 6 of the ALCS, Quote, I can tell you this, if I hit a home run to send my team to the World Series, they can rip off my pants, they can rip off anything. Stay legendary, Gary Sanchez. Gary Sanchez is a gem, and we can only expect these quotes uh, to continue. I want to read one here, too, uh, from Mm -hmm. Andrew Heaney, a pitcher on the Angels, who, of course, are in the same division as the Astros. I hope they feel like shit. They sure as shit need to do more than what they already did. I'm not going to make any excuses for these guys. I know how it is. You get caught up in something. I'm sure they look back now and say, oh, fuck, we took that overboard. But I think that somebody in that locker room had to have enough insight to say this is not okay. Like, (laughs) he did not hold back. A lot of these players did not hold back. 
Oh, yeah, and as soon as the other, um, you know, positional players report, a few guys, I mean, I'm just excited to hear all the Yankees, but one former Yankee that I feel like will have something witty and funny to say is uh, Didier Gregorius, uh, now with the Phillies, I feel like he'll have some some fun stuff to say, but also, I'm just, I'm just, man, all of this happening in the preseason, everybody talking, I, it's kind of making me a little bit more juiced up for the season to see what, uh, I'm just I'm curious to see what we'll get out of the Astros with all of this behind us now. Uh, you know how much of this effect will have an effect on their play. I, I don't know. It's it's getting me really excited for baseball. Is what well, I'm trying to say. I mean, over the last four months, we've had a franchise win its first World Series ever. We've had a pitcher sign a record-breaking contract for a starting pitcher with the largest market team in baseball. Mm. We've had the number two largest market team in baseball acquire the biggest star from the number three largest team market size in baseball. Yeah. <laughs> and yet none of that is being talked about as much as this Astros thing. So that's how much this has yeah. dominated headlines. That's how much this is going to be a narrative going into the year. And, you know, we have the whole, all these rule drop, the rule changes that got dropped today that we didn't even get to now. The, the three batter minimum and, uh, the 26 man on the roster, all this stuff. Like that's going to change the game as well. So there's a lot of different layers to what the league is going to look like and the juice ball. We had a juiced baseball last year yeah. and nobody knows yeah. if it's going to be juiced again going into this season. <laughs> There are just so many things to talk about with baseball right now. I mean, what what are we like twenty four minutes into the show, and we it's all we've gotten to, and yeah. there's we've only scratched the surface of what has been talked about this offseason. So oh, this yeah. offseason, especially after last offseason when there was literally just no contracts given out like until February, all offseason. Now we actually had a, a very active offseason at least among teams signing players. I think MLB trade rumors only has one player uh, who is in its top fifty free agents who has yet to sign, and he might actually have signed. Uh, but it was Brock Holt uh, was the last one. I'm not sure. Yeah, if, I think he. I saw his I think name he did. Uh, get popped up the other day, but I let me I see. I think they brought him back. Pretty sure. No, it was Alex Verdugo got Brock Holt's number. So that oh. was people saying that uh, number twelve. Oh. So now everyone's saying, oh well, guess he can't come back now. <laughs> well, yeah, like as so, if he couldn't. Ch- I think yeah, I guess he's still available. Has changed his number like three times since he became a Yankee, and of course, when Garrett Cole comes, you're you're gonna give him forty five. So yeah, um, yeah. So I think that's what I think that's the biggest thing of this conversation is it's it's really an exciting time for baseball, and the people that are already fans of baseball are very excited for it. It's about replenishing that and getting these younger fan bases. If we're if we're gonna tie everything up in a in a pretty little bow, I think that's where where this conversation really meets its point is that it's, it's, it's going to get fun, but uh, we still have some work to do in, in, in these younger demographics for baseball. Absolutely. All right. So Matt, let's head over to, uh, to basketball. Now we got to talk about one of the hottest teams in the league right now, the Toronto ramp. Wow. Let me wow. try that again. The, Tor- the Toronto killing. Raptors <laughs> <laughs> winners of 15 straight at the time of this recording, they are playing the nets uh, as we speak. Um, so they've got a matchup uh, with Brooklyn right now. So if they've lost, oops, we jinxed it. Uh, Matt, 40-14, and 14, second in the NBA Eastern Conference. Uh, crazy come from behind wins uh, recently. Um, taking a look at just some of their numbers right now, points per game, they're in the top 10. Opposing points per game, they're fifth best in the NBA. Uh, they're playing, uh, they've got the second best defensive rating and... Matt, they're standing at a really interesting point in the season um, after losing a top five player in the league. 
Um, so I, I know you wanted to start this off. You were teasing it before. You had a question for me, a little trivia. So, so yeah. hit me with it. All right, Blake, you and I went and drafted our all-star teams last episode because uh, you mm-hmm. know, we decided that Giannis did a terrible job of drafting his own team, so we thought might as well do our own. Uh, and we talked a lot about keeping teammates together. We talked about that chemistry yes. and how it would pay off in the game. Can you name the five duos uh, in the Eastern Conference who made the all-star team this year? Yeah. All right. I'm ready. I can do this. So we've got Giannis and Chris Middleton. Yep. That's one. Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo. Correct. Let's see. We've got uh, Jason Tatum and Kemba Walker. Uh Uh-huh. Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam. Yep. And there's a fifth team in there. Actually, six. Sorry. There's actually six. six. Are they all Eastern Conference? Uh, Yes. There's eight total. Holy shit. Yeah. All right. So I've, I've given you four of them, right? You gave me Bucks, you gave me Celtics, you gave me Heat, uh, and what was the other oh. one? Um, which other one did I give you? Raptors? Yeah, I gave you Raptors. Raptors. Uh, ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Yep. Oh, wait, no, that's and, it. All right, sorry, I'm all over the place. Yeah, that oh, was okay, the last one. gotcha. Nice. Um, so, yeah. Look at that. But, hey, first of all, good job. I probably wouldn't yeah. have gotten that. Adebayo is the one I keep forgetting about. Um, oh, dude. So I that's love probably how Miami Heat. Um, but Lowry and Pascal Siakam, uh, you know, we, yeah. we did an episode, I believe it was at the end of the last NBA season when we talked about the best duos in the NBA. And, you know, a lot of these groups we just mentioned were some of the duo. I mean, obviously, that was at a point where we hadn't had that full or no, it was right after the craziness of the uh, NBA offseason. So we saw all these guys go over. We were talking about how Paul George and um, Kai or sorry. Um, Kawhi, Kawhi, it was a K. Yeah. Um, you know, in Harden and Westbrook and all these other groups, which uh, you know we had some injuries on the Clippers side, so that's why that group probably isn't in here. Um, but overall, the Raptors duo of Pascal Siakam and Kyle Lowry was not one that we were talking about as being among no. the best duos in the NBA. In this this top five, Blake, where would you put uh, that duo right now in the East? Oh, well, look, I, I'm going to put them towards the bottom of that. Sure, sure. I, I think I think I think I'd put them probably about four or five. I'm, I'm just thinking in my head the other ones right now. Maybe you'd give them the I'd give them the edge over Jimmy and uh, and Bam, even though I, I love Bam out of bio as a as a rising young big man. But Pascal Siakam has been around, I think, a year or two extra. Um, and so I, I guess I'd give them that advantage. But um, in terms of fit together they're one of the best fits. You know, we can, we can have an episode where we talk about how Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons don't really fit together. Um, you know, look, they are, they're having great, a a great season. And and a lot of people really wrote them off, um, after, after winning the title and losing Kawhi Leonard, losing Danny Green. Um, they really didn't do a whole much in the off season to bring guys in to, to really replenish that. Um, I know I was a little more high on them coming into the season, um, then I, I think we both still had them as playoff teams. I think I had them as a top four seed. I'd have to go back and check. Uh, the biggest thing that stands out to me is they seemingly replaced everything they lost last year with, with guys already on their team. And what I mean by that is, for the most part, if you take a look at the, the stats that they're putting up, uh, Pascal Siakam, who might be in the running for another most improved player of the year. I mean, he has been on an absolute tear. I'm pulling up uh, his numbers right now. So 
This season, he's averaging 23.7 points a game, 7.5 rebounds, and 3.5 assists. Uh, He's also um, shooting 46% from the field and 37% from three. Um, So the biggest thing that stands out to me about what we're getting is is Pascal Siakam is essentially giving you about 90% of the production that we got from Kawhi Leonard. The only upside for what that, you know, for the difference in, I guess, the 10% drop-off is we're getting more games out of Pascal Siakam. You know, Kawhi was doing load management. He wasn't playing for extended periods of time. Pascal Siakam has, uh, has played, let's see, 43 games so far this season. Now, then you take into account, okay, how are you going to replace what Pascal Siakam did? And offensively, offensively, they've had two guys step up and essentially do about 90 to 95% of that offensively. So that's Norman Powell and OJ Ananubi. So those guys, they've seemingly been able to transition in and replenish the guys that they had lost, Pascal taking the lead role on offense, and, and those two guys putting in Pascal's offensive numbers uh, kind of as the, the forwards and, and, and bigs, essentially. The other part of this... I don't think anybody expected Fred Van Vliet to be as good as he has been this season. Um, you know, you think back to last season, he really had a, a, a really bad first and second round of the playoffs. And then in the Eastern Conference Finals, at the end of the finals, he turned things up, really found his form and his shot, and has carried that through the offseason into this season, and essentially has made up for a lot of the offensive uh, production that they lost from Danny Green as a, as a spot-up shooter. So you take all that into account, and then there's one more thing that doesn't hurt for teams is guys playing in contract years. Serge Ibaka, he's probably got about one more good contract left in him. He's certainly playing up for that. And then a guy, Marcus All, who is banged up right now, but when he comes back is also hoping to probably get paid one more time. So you've got guys that are really trying to make some good money uh, while they still can and still got their legs underneath them in the league. And you've got these younger guys that are just replenishing everything they lost this year. I know I'm going on a bit of a long rant, but that's kind of my picture on, on how the Raptors have really been able to to be the second best team in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, and you know when I think about teams that can go deep into the playoffs, you know, you, you first you think of the stars, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that's where I was kind of getting at with that duo conversation yeah. is they have, you know, they might not be the best duo in the league, but they have two stars that they can turn to when they need a bucket, and that's huge uh, for for late game moments, having to hit that dagger shot. You know, there's no going to be Kawhi double doink or whatever they called it. Uh, you know, it's going to have to be somebody else to step up and take those shots, and I think that Kyle. Lauer and Pascal Siakam are two players that can do it. But there's also, you know, the player, the, the players who are important to a, a team where you're down by 10 in the first quarter and you need your bench to kind of help you out and, and get you to the end of the game so that you're in a position to make those shots and, and not let the lead sink mm-hmm. deeper. And I think the, the Raptors, just like they did last year, one of the best benches in the NBA, and they might not be putting up the best numbers per se, uh, but they are a unit that you can trust. Their unit plays very good defense. Uh, as you mentioned, they kind of carry that over uh, from the starters to the the bench, uh, so that they have a more complete defensive unit uh, throughout the entire game. And you know, I think those are two elements that say, okay, when we get to a playoff series, I trust them. You know, in a matchup, honestly, against any team other than the Bucks right now, uh, I would say that the Heat are a team that could make some noise. Uh, and certainly, you know, mm-hmm. the Celtics and the. Uh, 76ers are there and the Pacers got a little depot back. So they're still working. You know, I think obviously that's kind of the the group right now as to who can contend for the Eastern conference. But I I mean, of that group, if, if, if we're saying the bucks can be beaten, I think the, the Raptors are capable of any, as any team. 
Yeah, I, I definitely agree. They've got a lot of bigs that could that could stick up with Giannis in the paint. Of course, Marcus Saul, Serge Ibaka, Pascal Siakam, a lot of guys that they can throw at Giannis throughout that game, and they play great defense for the shooters around Giannis. So I definitely agree. I really the, there's one concern I have with the Raptors right now, and that it's we're sitting here in February twelfth uh, on February twelfth, and I just pray to God that they aren't peaking now. I hope that this isn't the best form that we'll get of this Raptors team because at one point they're, they're going to go through a stretch where they plateau a little bit. They're not just going to go, you know, win every game throughout the rest of the season. They're on a great win streak right now. And there was a point, not not really to the extent, and, and so there's now no real comparison here. Uh, but I remember when the Warriors were going on their big win streak and then it finally collapsed. I think it was to the Bucks. I think it was like a 22-23 game win streak. And it was a little bit of a plateau there, but obviously they're one of the greatest teams of all time. So no doubt, undoubtedly they picked it back up. I just hope that these Raptors players, I just, I hope that they didn't peak too soon because I agree this team has a lot of potential. How about Nick Nurse, man? How about Nick Nurse? They fired Dwayne Casey, bring in Nick Nurse, takes him to a title the first year. And after they lose a top five player in the NBA, they're still one of the best teams in the East. Um, the, the other thing that I think is really important for, uh, for the Raptors, and I guess for any team in the Eastern Conference that is really hoping to contend, you mentioned it's probably about a group of six right now that can really make that push. Locking up the two seed is going to be huge because that ensures that assures that you get one of the the crappy two teams at the bottom, and it's going to be the Magic and the Nets. So you'll you'll beat one of those teams and you'll get through the first round. But if you're the three seed. And say you got to play the 76ers or the Pacers, that's a way more difficult matchup in the opening round as opposed to, you know, having, you know, the ability to play a team like Orlando or Brooklyn. So And you'd be on the other side of the bracket as the Bucks. Exactly. So so you really got to make sure that if, if you're the Raptors and it, it say you're the Heat, any of those six teams that are really trying to, to contend for a title, you want to stay as far as away from Milwaukee as you can. And then you also really want to get that two seed because your first round is a, a hell of a lot easier than playing one of those other six teams. No, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I don't think anybody expects anyone from that 7-8 group to really make any noise come the postseason. No. Right now it's held by the Nets and the Magic, but the Wizards and the Bulls are within striking distance, which makes me want to puke, by the way. Uh, yep. that, that's a whole other conversation. Oh. Uh, <laughs> that the Wizards are actually going for the playoffs this year. That's like a thing they want. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's that's just fantastic. I'm loving that. Yeah, um, but uh, the the Eastern Conference, I like, you know, I still the West is still better. It's still deeper, one hundred percent. There's no doubt about it. But there, I I like a lot of these teams, man. And and yes, the the Lakers and the Nuggets and the Clippers and I guess you could say maybe the Jazz too are kind of up there with the Bucks um, as far as like the be the best teams in the NBA. But honestly, that. Those five six teams. I know you like the Thunder, but I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of the Rockets. I don't think the Thunder have what it takes. No. I don't. I don't think the Mavericks are, are going to go deep in the playoffs, and certainly not teams like the Grizzlies or the Trailblazers, uh, who are kind of you know in that conversation right now. Maybe we say the Spurs and the Pelicans are there too. Uh, but you know, I, I think that the East, as far as teams that I think are capable of winning their conference, is actually deeper than the West. Yeah, I, I think, I, I was going to say, I, I really think it's not that far off. I think the East has really bolstered itself, especially with, you know, in, in Indiana, with uh, Sabonis becoming 
you know, a, a great player. As of right now, Oladipo is still getting his feet under him. Sabonis is the best player on that team. Uh, Indiana certainly has things going. They're on a bit of a losing streak right now, but I think that just is expected to happen when you throw back in your star player, and it kind of messes up with the, the pecking order, kind of like we talked about integrating Zion into the Pelicans' offense. Um, you know, the Pacers throwing in Oladipo, they're going to go through a rough patch while they figure out really how that offense works. But I think the Eastern Conference, man, they're on the rise. The Miami Heat, you know, people, people, you know, thought they'd be a playoff team this year. I know some people didn't have them in there, uh, surprisingly, but but they're up there. Philadelphia's there. Boston, of course. Uh, it, it's getting a lot more even. I agree. I'd probably still give the edge to the West, maybe just a little, but uh, but I I, I I do think we're getting back to a better balance. Uh, quick trivia question for you. Because oh, I think I love this. Since <laughs> just because you got to talk the Wizards a little bit, I want to say so. Since the Knicks have hired Michael Miller, what what um, what place in the Eastern Conference do you think they would be since that date? In the Eastern Conference, since that date, they would be tied for sixth. No, so, okay, you overshot a little bit. They would be a playoff team right now over the Brooklyn Nets. Okay, they would so be the seventh eighth, or the eighth seed. Or, yeah, they'd be, they'd be the eighth seed. I'm, I only so, said six because I'm looking at the last ten games, and I know it was uh, like around that time. Uh, so yeah, I was like trying to trying to like sort that out in my head as to where, because it says they're five and five in the last ten games. Right. So I was like, that would be like a little bit above the median, so I'll go with six. Yeah. Yeah, so they actually have a better record uh, than the Nets since since uh, firing Dave Fisdale and bringing in Michael Miller. So, little little interesting information. <laughs> Some New York there, rivalry, so. huh? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, then man, Fisdale was oh, sorry. sorry, Fisdale already on the jump uh, as an analyst. Uh, dude, instantly. <laughs> I feel like that happens. That happens with any Knicks head coach that has like a little bit of uh, you know maybe I, who'd we see it last with? Um, oh. Oh god! Well, I remember uh, Phil Jackson was on ESPN like right yeah, after he Phil left. Phil Jackson did some after he left. Um, oh, who's the guy? He was an assistant coach over in the with the Clippers after his name was Michael. Oh, I'm not gonna get it. There's been too many Knicks head coaches in the last. Yeah, decade dude, you. I couldn't track. even tell you. <laughs> I, I can't do it. There's so many different ones, but. All right, Matt, let's switch things over. This is going to be a fun conversation in the NFL uh, because I texted you this morning a question about Taysom Hill. Uh, and you were like, well, why is everybody talking about Taysom Hill? And I said the same thing three days ago. Everybody, for some reason, is talking about Taysom Hill. And that's because uh, some stories have been coming out recently. Um, Sean Payton has been talking up Taysom Hill a lot with the media. Uh, but Taysom Hill has also recently come out and said, that if the Saints don't view him as a starting quarterback in this league, that that he needs to go find another team that does. Um, Matt, the last time we talked about Taysom Hill on this show, I had a lot of um, I had a lot of aspirations uh, of what he could be, uh, and I told you uh, before the show that things have kind of changed since. I, I've actually. Um, read a lot up on him. I've watched a lot of uh, film. I went back to his college days and watched some film as well, too. Um, Matt, do you, what, what do you think, as a Saints fan, and, and thoughts of, of the future of this franchise, of course, Drew Brees isn't going to be around forever. You've got decisions to make about Teddy Bridgewater to try and keep him under the fold, and also the, the possibility of making Taysom Hill the future starter of, uh, of the franchise. 
What are your thoughts on all this speculation um, as to why Sean Payton is really beefing him up in the media, as to why Taysom Hill is like, if the Saints don't view me as a quarterback, I need to go be a quarterback elsewhere. Uh, give me your thoughts on kind of breaking down this this recent Saints news. Yeah, well, first of all, I have just been blocking out all Saints news until I hear what Drew Brees has been, is doing, because that Fair is enough. just kind of the, the biggest thing for me right now is just knowing uh, what the guy I grew up idolizing is going to do, uh, because that really changes everything for the Saints. And you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're, I think I think what we're hearing right now out of the Saints camp uh, is that they are very high on Taysom Hill. There's an, even a rumor that uh, they'd be willing to uh, put out an offer sheet, uh, even if there's a first round restricted free agent tender on him, which is a pretty hefty price uh, to bring him back for the player that he's been. Uh, I get that, like, you know, they could have seen a lot from him uh, when Breeze was hurt. He didn't start any games at quarterback or anything like that, but he was, you know, the number two QB in practice, which means you get a lot more reps and uh, you're playing, you know, better competition and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, what I, I think after that happened, after those couple of weeks, we started to hear these things of, oh, maybe Hill is, you know, a future quarterback and maybe he can be the Saints guy moving forward, blah, blah. Uh, first of all, don't ever compare him to Lamar Jackson. He's not Lamar Jackson. And he's not going to build yeah, up the, num- the numbers that Lamar Jackson put up. There's absolutely no way that can happen. But that being said, you can take things out of what Lamar Jackson did and maybe apply them to Hill and say, okay, we could do this. Because there's already proof that he has a stronger arm. Now, is it a more accurate arm? Probably not. Uh, but he can Definitely throw not. it farther than Lamar Jackson right now. I know you are, you're referencing um, that video of him playing against no, Utah. No, not just that. Not oh. just that. I, okay, I'm that was I, one I, game, first of all. I know, one I know, game. But I, was, I know, um, so imagine what a full season would have been like. Oh, I'm my God. I'm you. just messing with you. But also, uh, you take a look at his career completions. They're not easy grabs for his receivers. I remember the most recent one, Michael Thomas had to put half of his body out of bounds to make the grab. Yeah, and and I'm not saying that I'm bought into this idea, and I'm not even saying the Saints mm-hmm. are. I feel yeah. like they're talking him up right now uh, in a way to yes. uh, you know maybe make them be able as a negotiating tactic uh, try to get other teams to bite and give him a high offer sheet because they'll think the Saints will then take it, and then uh, the Saints end up not taking it, and that team saddled with the with the salary or, or whatever. Well, uh, so I want to clear up real quick on the tender. So. Since he's a restricted free agent, it's not that the Saints would have to give up a draft pick. It's that if they put out a first or second round tender, whoever would sign him would have to trade the Saints a first or second round pick. So they're just trying gotcha. to really beef it up. So if someone comes in, they'd be able to to get a you know an extra first or second round pick out of it. Okay. Yeah, I got it confused with the NBA. To be honest, any NFL contracts are just crazy. Uh, and how that all works. So thank you for clearing that up. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't know if the Saints would be able to get a first round pick out of it. I don't think that's actually right. something yeah. that a team would be willing to do, but they're trying to hype it up. And I mean, honestly, it, it's, th- this was one other thing. I'm, I'm going looping way back around to the MLB thing, but I felt like the, the rule proposal idea was a trial balloon. They were putting it out there to see how the public reacted uh, and then, you know, go from there. And obviously the public hated it, so it's probably not going to happen. I think the same thing is happening with the Taysom Hill stuff. They wanted to see how, A, the Saints fan base reacted and, B, how the rest of uh, teams reacted to see what they would want to do uh, with that, uh, you know, information. Is, like, that not such a crazy idea that Taysom Hill can be a starting quarterback? Well, Everyone seems to think it is, so maybe they don't, you know, uh, attach a first-round uh, restricted free agent tender to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things about 
I'm sure Sean Payton thinks he could get it done with Taysom Hill. Oh, for sure. Sean Payton he, is one of the Sean smartest Payton. offensive minds. <laughs> he he tried doing it a little bit, and and Tebow didn't bite on it, but. They tried doing this with Tim Tebow, and the Patriots were also trying to make this happen with Tim Tebow. There were reports that they were going to put him in this role where he'd be kind of doing everything, uh, you know, even with the special teams, and then Tebow, you know, elected to do, uh, you know, other things with his career. I'm taking a look at the draft order because I agree. I don't think, I think a team would be crazy if they gave up a first-round pick to sign Taysom Hill. I'm looking at the second round just to see if there are any teams right now that have two second-round picks. I know the Colts do, but that's just that they're not going to give up one of those. Um, just looking at the end, it seems like Seattle might have two. Yeah, there are a few teams that have like a late, late second-round pick, an extra one thrown in there. I still think that price is a little too rich for Taysom Hill, where you know there are wide receivers that have more completions than he does in his career. I, I agree. I think he is a, a high IQ guy, a 100% effort guy, but... I just I don't buy into the fact that he could assume full starting responsibilities as a quarterback. I think it has to be in this mold where you have one quarterback and you essentially throw in Taysom Hill as this kind of just wild card like they have been doing with Breeze. It kind of reminds me, and and I love that they tried to do this and it failed so miserably. It, it reminds me of the Jets trying to do this with Mark Sanchez and Tim Tebow. It obviously didn't work at all um, because there wasn't a smart offensive mind there, really, a uh, smart offensive bone in anybody's body. Um, but I do think that the Saints, if, if, if Sean Payton wants to make it work, it will. I just don't think it, it involves Taysom Hill as the starting quarterback. I think it would be in this kind of just scat role where he's doing just about everything. And also, one of the best-kept secrets in the NFL has been Taysom Hill's age. I think it's finally coming Dude. to light now oh that God. everybody is, you know, talking about him. But the dude's 29 years old, and, you know, he hasn't been in the league, at least in the NFL, uh, for a long time. He bounced around between practice squads. He was with the Packers for a bit before going over the Saints. So, uh, And he obviously, he, he went to BYU uh, and then did a one-year, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't want to say the wrong word, but, you know, he took the year to travel, missionary work, that kind of thing, uh, before uh, coming back to football uh, and, you know, going and resuming his, his training and all, and all that stuff. So it kind of set him back. He also did all four years at BYU. So, you know, his clock got pushed way farther back than the average quarterback coming out of college uh, and to the point where, you know, he wasn't even being used in this gadget role full time until last season, 2018, uh, at age 28. Uh, so now that he, you know, is a, a free agent, restricted or otherwise, this has kind of been brought to light that you're signing a guy, if you do bring him on, who's going to be 30 years old this season. He's not this young guy who, you know, can only get better from here. You know, right. we're, we're kind of at the point where he hasn't had a, a lot of opportunities to show what he has. So I think that's important to know that, like, it's hard to judge him in this gadget role when, you know, he is only throwing, like, uh, what is it, four passes in a season or something like that. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it's hard to say like, okay, uh, we saw these passes and clearly you don't have it. So you don't have it. That That's not fair. Uh, the Saints would know better than anybody if he really does have it. And that's what they seem to be saying. But at the same time, I think it's more of a question of do you believe the Saints actually mean that uh, or, or are they are they trying to hype him up or do they actually exactly. think that you know he could be uh, a part of their future that's kind of what the debate is to me mm. uh, because it's it's hard to, to watch the tape when there is such little on him actually playing the position of quarterback and you know you have to think about also when he is at quarterback what are opposing defenses doing they're 
going to uh, you know be playing underneath, oh, yeah. thinking that he's going to be running every time. And not to say that that's not what they what they would do uh, if they were to be game planning for him to be a quarterback who makes every snap. Uh, but at the same time, you know when he's a gadget player and being put in the quarterback, he's going to be running more often than not, or running some kind of jump pass type deal more than just rearing back and throwing it deep. So defenses aren't even going to be playing that way against him. So it's really just kind of hard to judge uh, his play style as a quarterback when we have such little tape. Right. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, with, with any quarterback that maybe has questionable arm accuracy and and maybe even total IQ, we've never seen him run a full style offense where it's, you know, five step dropbacks. He's doing the mixed array of everything. Teams are just going to play up to stop the run. It's going to make life hard for Alvin Kamara. It's going to make life hard, life extremely hard for Taysom Hill. And then there's going to be chucking up a lot of throws that are just kind of praying because other defensive uh, defensive linemen are in his face. So I agree. I, I don't think it's I don't think it's a style of play that every single play um, you can run out there with Taysom Hill as your guy. But like you said, we're going to find out in the next month, right? I mean, we've got the draft yeah. coming up at the end of April. We've got free agency kicking off in March, maybe a little bit more than a month. I'd say maybe maybe the next month and a half or two months even, uh, since I guess we're probably still around a month away until free agency. But we're going to find out because obviously the Saints have a lot of quarterbacks or a lot of questions at the quarterback position. First, Breeze, of course, you need to figure out is he coming back. I believe he comes back for one more season. I'm sure I do you too. Know, you do that's too. that's my thing is I I think Breeze yeah. is coming back. I think that they have the right. roster now to win a title. You know, yeah. and you've got some rough endings uh, to the to their seasons the past couple of years. You know, give it one more go. I want to leave you with this, yeah. Blake. Uh, this last point here: the Saints made Teddy Bridgewater the highest paid backup quarterback in NFL. NFL history last year. If they truly believe that Taysom Hill was capable of taking over as quarterback full-time and being the quarterback of the future, why would they have bothered to pay Teddy Bridgewater that kind of money? That just doesn't make sense to me. I I completely agree. And I think, I think basically the, the blueprint comes down to um, say, say they, they decide to just keep Taysom Hill around for one more year. I think they give it one more go with Breeze as the starter. I think they use Taysom Hill more than they did this past season. I think, I think we get, more usage where it is Taysom and, and Breeze maybe on the sideline for a few more plays. I, I think that's the route we go that's most likely. And then I think beyond that, they're really going to have to figure it out because I, I think Breeze has one more year, but then beyond that, um, you know, you're going to have to find another quarterback because I, I don't think Hill can be a full-time starter. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Jerry's still out, but uh, I agree that uh, I think next year, if, if Breeze returns, Bridgewater's gone, and you do, you know, you bring back uh, Taysom Hill, and you just kind of go from there. And, and then if Breeze gets hurt, hurt again, then, you know, you really have a chance to see if he can do that and he can take over full time, because, you know, it's now or never at that point. Yeah. Well, and it's funny. I, I got in an argument with a guy today on Twitter. Uh, there were a couple. Colts people that it came out of nowhere and were just talking about Taysom Hill to the Colts and it was funny. It was it was funny to see these two guys get attacked by the other ninety nine percent of Colts Twitter. It was it was hilarious. I went back and forth with the guy for a little bit. He's citing PFF and I was like, all right, dude, let's 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 chill out. Let's a calm bit. down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, well, a lot of interesting stuff is going to happen in the NFL, of course, between now and and the middle of March. This is, I, I promise you, Matt, and I, I'm sure you you already know, this free agency is going to be the craziest one we've had in a long time because there are so many quarterbacks that can change the landscape of this league. If Tom Brady chooses to go to L.A. or Las Vegas or Indianapolis, Philip Rivers does he go to the Buccaneers to the Colts? First off, I'm 
Every quarterback is going to be attached to the Colts this offseason. Phillip Rivers right now is supposedly the Vegas favorite, so there's a lot of rumors going out there, but you've got guys like Jameis Winston, who just got LASIK eye surgery, Matt, so maybe that will help uh, throw fewer yeah, than 30 interceptions. He's, he's going from 30-30 vision to 20-20 vision. Talk about oh, that. I love it. That's perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> So you've got guys like that. You've got Ryan Tannehill, who's a free agent as well, too, after a great season. The quarterbacks are going to dominate the stories. Dak Prescott, there are rumors coming out. Michael Irvin started some rumors that the Cowboys are discussing signing Tom Brady and then trading Dak Prescott, which is a horrible move. Uh, We could talk about that another time, but I'm I'm really excited. We're about a month away, and and free agency is going to be a fun one leading up to the draft. Yeah, I'm excited for it. We had a crazy MLB offseason. We just had a crazy yeah. NBA offseason. It's NFL's turn. I mean, this is the the I, year of crazy offseasons, apparently. And the thing is, it's weird, but I almost I almost enjoy the offseason just as much as the season. I, I'd probably give it 65% regular season, 35% offseason where I love it because I, this stuff, the rumors speculating, the draft study, all of this stuff is so exciting to me. So these next few months in the NFL are, are really going to be enjoyable for me. I can say the same thing only because baseball is my favorite sport and I usually have baseball yeah. to tide me over between the end of the football season, start of uh, the, the, the next year. So mm-hmm. I can have that. But like, if I'm talking like, do I like MLB offseason as much as MLB regular no. season? No, yeah. but I think yeah. that's also because you have games every day with with baseball, and like Very when you true. just all of a sudden lose that, it's like a key part of your routine is gone. Whereas the NFL, it's like a weekly event, and you you know you build up to each matchup, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, it's weird being on Sundays without football, but uh, you know, of course, that's why we have the XFL now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll give it a better try this weekend. I'll report. You better. To you guys it's on good Sunday. stuff, man. It's good stuff. I will. I will. I'll give it a shot. Alrighty. Well, Matt, that'll wrap things up for today. I think we'll coast off into uh, to Valentine's Day weekend. I know I'm about to get my party on with those guys. I actually took off work on Friday so I can get get a nice. head start on it. So my, yeah. my boss was my boss was questioning me why I took Valentine's Day off. I was like, it has nothing to do with romance. I don't have a romantic <laughs> bone in my body. But uh, but make sure um, to follow both of us on Twitter. I'm at Blake Andrew Pace. Matt is at by Matt Wyrick. Um, make sure to check out all of our work. Of course, Matt for NBC Sports Washington, me uh, for Stampede Blue, SB Nation for the Colts. Uh, make sure to check out my other podcast, uh, Quick Hits. Uh, episode will be dropping out Friday morning. We'll be doing some draft talk, and then we'll be out Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday of each week moving forward. Uh, Matt, any last words for those listening along? Um, I'm going to go with no for today, but I do have oh, a wow. potentially – Yeah, I hate them all. Yeah, screw you guys. I do have a potentially big announcement that could be yes. coming, but I'm going to hold off until next week uh, until I get a funny? few more details about that. I was going to ask you about that that big detail and say if you wanted to share it now, so I'm glad I didn't ask you, and that we'll just <laughs> announce it next week. So we'll I, I was, I was going to bring it up. We'll leave it at that. Matt's got to leave you on a little, little tease for next exactly. week. Exactly. Tune into exactly. the next episode. <laughs> All righty. Well, for Matt Wyrick, I'm Blake Pace. Thank you guys so much for listening to Reasonably Outrageous, and we'll talk to you soon.